Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Grey Viking Games. Grey Viking Games is the best place to get MTGA arena codes. From booster packs to awesome cosmetics, check them out at greyvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT for 10% off. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we are going to talk about Quandrix Tempo in Strixhaven. For anyone here who is a limited guru or above level patron on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, I would like to take this moment to remind you that the notes for this episode are available there right now, so if you want to pull those up to follow along, uh, now would be a great time to do that. Moving into what's going on with Quandrix Tempo. So I want to clarify that I'm talking about a super niche archetype here. Most of the Quandrix cards do push you toward wanting to play a bigger deck and more of the like Quandrix ramp space. The primary difference between Quandrix tempo and Quandrix ramp is essentially what you're doing on turn three. I think that's like really the big pivot point. Like, are you trying to spend your third turn playing a creature or are you trying to spend your third turn playing a ramp spell. The answer to that question can really inform everything else about your game plan, if you want it to. There are ways that you can use three mana creatures as part of a ramp strategy. I think a really good example of that is using Biomathematician to like hold the ground to set up having time to play Eureka Moment on turn four to ramp, which is something that I talked about in the Quandrix ramp episode. Whereas I think that in the Quandrix tempo deck, where you're looking to you know pressure your opponent in a meaningful way you really are going to lean on three mana creatures to do that and while biomathematician gives you three power for three mana which is a fairly reasonable rate aggressively it's very hard to profitably attack with one one and two uh, two two creatures on the ground so biomathematician is much better defensively than it is offensively so Biomathematician, I think, for me, largely falls into the Quandrix ramp space with Field Trip, where uh, Biomath is trying to like slot in differently in your curve so that you play a defensive card on turn three and then ramp on turn four with Eureka Moment or Quandrix Cultivator. We're mostly looking at decks that are not interested in Biomathematicians unless you have like obscene numbers of biomathematicians to the point where you can actually plan to attack with those fractals. And then you can start to play tricks like Resculpt and Square Up to take advantage of those fractals. That's like a really, really super sub niche category of an already niche deck is like, what about the biomathematician deck? And outside of, if you have a lot of those, you can play those two like very late pick tricks. I'm not really going to focus on like, well, what happens if I get six of this comment? So basically, this is the deck that is relying on and hoping to find basically as many copies as it can of Frost Trickster and Quandrix Pledge Mage are kind of like the primary commons that pull you into wanting to draft this deck. Incidentally, ends up also using Waterfall Aerialist and to some extent Vortex Runner well, where those cards kind of don't have a home otherwise. To me, like if you've been following my content or especially my drafts, you know that I'm not especially into Frost Trickster or Quandrix Pledge Mage in most Quandrix decks, but if I'm specifically trying to do this different lower curve Quandrix deck where I'm not trying to play any of the ramp cards, then I think those cards play really well. But that's, again, unusual. 
So anyway, that's the space I'm looking at, and that's kind of like the crux of what's happening. In this lower curve Quandrix deck, obviously you want like enough creature density to pressure your opponent, and the fact that you have the higher creature density means that you can play more tricks and more fight spells. By putting more pressure on your opponent, you're putting them in spots where they have to block, which, especially since like a lot of the cheaper creatures in Quandrix aren't very big. Your opponent has to block and wants to block, and blocking is relatively easy for them to do, and so that means that you're in a spot to take, you know, make good use of cards like Big Play or Fortifying Draft. And then you end up ideally potentially getting like large Quandrix Pledge Mages or maybe a Leyline Invocation or something, so you can make use of Charge Through to like push final damage, and then that'll also give you like your Magecraft triggers to power up your Quandrix Pledge Mage, which is something that you might be looking for because again, you know, you want to play a relatively high creature count, which in general is a little bit awkward for Quandrix Pledge Mage since it's, you know, has Magecraft triggers. But you get to pick up a couple of cards that don't necessarily go well in other decks that work really well with Quandrix Pledge Mage in terms of giving you those additional Magecraft triggers in the form of like Charge Through and Adventurous Impulse and then Opt, which other people want, but you can use too. Um, but Adventurous Impulse is one that's like pretty easy to pick up fairly late and works really well when you're trying to curve out with a bunch of creatures and, you know, find a Frost Trickster to lock them down or grow your Pledge Mage or whatever. So that's like a nice uncommon pickup for this kind of strategy. One of the core questions is, okay, like if this is such a niche deck, what puts me into it? Why do I want to draft this deck? How do I know, okay, I'm supposed to draft Quandrix like Tempo instead of Quandrix Ramp? And to some extent, a lot of it is going to be yeah, you, sorry, you just didn't find the ramp cards. <laughs> or, yeah, like Frost Tricksters were just flowing. Like you tabled them and you ended up with a couple of them and you wanted to lean into it. A lot of the like good rares that can potentially put you down this path, like Augmented Pugilist, it's a great aggro card. So like if you have that, it's really good to, you know, go in this direction, especially prioritizing tricks because Pugilist gives you an aggressive creature with Trample. So now when you're using your big play and stuff, you get to push a bunch of extra damage. Augmentary Pugilist is a card that would make me happy to go into Quandrix Tempo, but at the same time, like, it's an 8-8 for 3. Well, an 8-8 that you have to spend 3 mana for, but, like, it eventually grows when you have a lot of lands, which says, hey, play me in a ramp deck. And it's not misleading about that. Like, it is very good in a ramp deck. That, like a lot of other powerful rares in this spot, can play both ways. So it doesn't, like, strongly push you into Quandrix Tempo. It just allows you to go into Quandrix Tempo. So Dragon's Guard Elite is another example which might slightly more strongly push you toward tempo over ramp, but again, very slightly. Gnarled Professor, same situation as Pugilist, where like the trample specifically makes you a lot more interested in combining it with tricks. And also I've found that like in kind of like the bigger Quandrix decks, it's hard to like get a lot of value out of Gnarled Professor as an attacker because there are so many like four fours and stuff that it trades with. Your opponent plays like a Professor of Zoomancy and now like attacking is not that great. Found that often Gnarled Professor in Quandrix just participates in gummed up boards. But if you're not spending your time like ramping and then playing big stuff and letting them like get their defenses up and instead you're like pressuring them and forcing them to block and using tricks and using more fight spells, then it's much easier to like clear a path for a few turns for the Gnarled Professor and have it just kill them. Hall of Oracles is another like rare that just plays super well in this kind of space, but I mean it plays super well in basically everything, so I'm not saying much. 
multiple choice is another card that's you know fantastic in every direction but like technically has a clause where it's bouncing your opponent's thing and so it is a tempo spell in addition to being a value spell and everything else but if you can take advantage of the tempo element that's like more value you're getting so it's like slightly better if you are in the aggressive or tempo type space though again it's just awesome no matter what professor of zoomancy again same thing it's just good no matter what Quandrix Command. Now, Quandrix Command is a card that's actually like a lot better if you're aggressive. Quandrix Command is a gigantic beating if you both are looking for the combat trick and the tempo play of the bounce. This is a card that, you know, again, like it, similar to multiple choice, it can play defensively, but like it's way better if you can use it offensively. And that's like magnified considerably with Quandrix Command. Another card that's very similar, Snow Day, where like I'm very happy to use this card to buy time and draw cards and participate in just like, well, this is a powerful, expensive spell in my deck that's just like generally leaves me in a pretty good position. But in an aggressive deck, sometimes it's like, whoops, you're dead. Tamazir Quandrix, the Quandrix Mythic Dragon, same kind of situation. If you're actually doing like, here are some creatures that I'm curving out and attacking you with. And then I play like this thing and I get to attack and make all my things 4-4s. Four now, again, you're probably just killing them. Whereas if you're, oh, I'm going to like ramp and play this, then it's like, okay, well, this is a 4-4 four, four flyer that I played on turn 4. That's good. You're taking advantage of less of its text. And then Manifestation Sage is another just like powerful rare that can play aggressively. Again, like most of these things participate in Quandrix Ramp very well, which is why Ramp is the default thing that you want to be. But those are some cards that I'm going to take early that will potentially make me a little bit more likely to end up in this space. Again, a lot of this is going to come down to, well, I didn't see field trips and I saw Frost Tricksters and Quandrix Pledge Mages instead. Another option is maybe I saw a lot of Mage Duels. And then the fact that I got like a bunch of Mage Duels or Devouring Tendrils, like these fight spells early, like the fact that I had those made me want to play specifically more cheap creatures. And then as I started putting more cheap creatures in my deck to make sure that I could reliably use these fight spells, now I realize, oh wait, there's not really a lot of room for me to like play a bunch of ramp cards and ramp payoffs. So I can like finish my deck in a tighter, more cohesive way if instead of spending my time ramping and trying to go, oh, I'm going to like play field trip into elemental summoning, say like, no, actually I want to spend turn three playing Quandrix Pledge Mage and turn four playing Waterfall Aerialist and just attack a few times. So that's like how you end up in this space. The archetype is pretty straightforward. I'm, I'm through most of what needs to be discussed here, I think, but there's certainly still more. So I guess specific card notes Baryan Books, which is in a normal Quandrix deck, Baryan Books is often my highest priority. Whereas in a Quandrix Tempo deck, first of all, Mage Duel is like miles ahead of Baryan Books. Honestly, in most Quandrix decks, there's a good chance you should be taking Mage Duel, Mage Duel over Baryan Books because I've found that Quandrix can end up in tough spots where it doesn't have a way to like permanently answer a non-token creature. So you do want to make sure that you have some like actual I kill your thing type spells, which, you know, a way to make sure that that happens is to prioritize Mage Duel over Baryan Books early. Also, you know, if you're super far on the ramp side of things, 
then you might not reliably have a creature in play to fight with, whereas the Baryan books will reliably buy you time. And then if your endgame is strong enough that buying you time is good enough, you might want to prioritize uh, Baryan books over Mage Duel. But if you are attacking such that you're expecting that your Baryan books is going to cost five a lot of the time, it's a pretty bad card. Not sure I want to play it, certainly shouldn't prioritize it level bad. Slam Mage Duel over it and also probably start taking Frost Tricksters over it if you know that you're like aggressive. Similarly, Needlethorn Drake, uh, much, much lower priority than it normally is. Normally, I think it's like pretty similar to Scurried Colony and a pretty high priority. But if I am far on the extreme of what this deck is doing, I would actually prefer Reckless Amplomancer to Needlethorn Drake because Needlethorn Drake is such a bad attacker, whereas like Reckless Amplomancer is, you know, a two drop when I want to start pressuring people and then does meaningfully get big in the late game. And normally your Quandrix deck doesn't take advantage of that very well because you have expensive stuff that you're spending your mana on in the late game. But if your curve is a lot lower, but maybe you still have a Quandrix Cultivator because it's just a good card, then it's pretty easy to get to the point where you're just like, well, I have a lot of mana, nothing to spend it on. Good thing I have this random 2-2 that's a mana sink and can fight as a bigger creature. I mentioned Professor of Zoomancy and Waterfall Aerialist. I like both of them. Professor of Zoomancy is like enough of a stronger card that I'm basically always taking Professor of Zoomancy over Waterfall Aerialist, but like it gets to the point where I actively want Waterfall Aerialist if I'm like on, you know, Frost Trickster Beats is my plan. And it's just like, yeah, I think you're not going to have enough flying blockers and I'm about beating you in the air. You have to acknowledge that like you might struggle if your opponent's good at making inklings or whatever with like the fact that Waterfall Aerialist just trades down with them and you can't do a lot about it. Basically, I, I don't like the card in general very much, but it uh, can perform very well in like this exact deck. And I guess also technically the Prismari, the similar Prismari deck. Obviously, because this is a tempo deck, you don't want to try to splash. You don't want to be in a spot where you're prioritizing, like trying to learn for environmental sciences and cast it. Also on that note, there are not a lot of learn cards you want to play once you're in this space, because you're not really looking for pop quiz or field trip because that spends your like pivotal third turn where you want to be getting pressure down to like generate a sort of value that's not useful to your game plan. You're not trying to play an attrition game. You're not trying to play a ramp game. You're trying to play a tempo game. So if you don't want those two cards, you also don't want cram session. So at that point, you're looking at arcane subtraction and then higher rarity cards like divide by zero is really, really good but you're not very interested in Overgrown Arch. Obviously, you would love Gnarled Professor or the Dreamstrix, the 3-2 rare flyer that learns when it dies. You're going to have not very many ways to learn, which means as far as, you know, I think like one of the most important things to talk about with any archetype is which lessons do you want? How do you, like, how are you prioritizing your lessons? And the main thing with dedicated Quandrix Tempo is honestly, you're not. Most decks really want to prioritize lessons, and here I think you just pass most lessons for really good stuff that's on plan. It would be nice to have an expanded anatomy, an elemental summoning you could do with an intro to annihilation. I would say those are probably the highest priorities. I, I think elemental summoning, intro to annihilation, and expanded anatomy are the highest priority common lessons for the archetype. But for the most part, I would say just like where in general, I am very interested in 
prioritizing lessons really, really highly. Here, I'd say just you only need one or two. Pick them up when it's convenient and like don't stress about it. If you end up in a spot where like arcane subtraction is not good in your deck, you can just play this deck with no lessons. It's weird, but like that's not a common thing for decks in Strixhaven, but the learn cards just aren't very good unless you see like certain rares or again, uh, divide by zero. And then obviously once you have divide by zero and our old professor type stuff, then you want to like switch to prioritizing those lessons that I talked about. And then, you know, fractal summoning is also fine. Quick run through of uncommons that I think are relevant to consider for this deck. Aether Helix. This is like a super premium. Not necessarily Aether Helix is like the best card for your deck, though it is very, very good. But specifically, this is a deck where Aether Helix is specifically used really well, where a lot of people struggle to use it anywhere near as well as you do. The fact that you have a bunch of creatures that are putting your opponent in positions where they really do have to trade off, and then Aether Helix is a really good like tempo spell that gets you your threat back. This deck uses Aether Helix really well. Whereas like Bookworm is a card that's strong enough that you're like basically always going to play it, but it's not in any way like on plan for this deck. It's not like if you draft a bookworm early, you should just be playing ramp instead. You shouldn't be playing this deck. And then, you know, if you're in this deck and you see a bookworm in pack three, like, well, fine, whatever, take it, play it, maybe try to pivot into ramp or just like, okay, I guess there's a random a drop that I may or may not be able to cast, but it's bookworm, so it's fine. Decisive Denial is another card that this deck makes the best use of by far. You're playing shorter, more condensed games, so it's more likely that the mana leak's going to be good. You're prioritizing, like, having early creatures and getting them big. So the fight that doesn't involve, like, making your creatures big and relies on your creatures just naturally being bigger than your opponent, you can use pretty well. Devouring Tendrils, similar situation. This deck's whole thing is, like, using fight spells well. Talked a lot about Divide by Zero. Obviously, it's just like a pure tempo card. Emergent Sequence is just a great two-drop. Fortifying Draft, I've talked about the value of tricks. Golden Ratio is a card that I have found to be undervalued. Like, it's been really, really good for me in decks that use it well. And creature-heavy Quandrix decks typically use it well. I will note that... Quandrix Aggro, I think, actually uses it less well by quite a bit than Quandrix Ramp most of the time, because again, you're looking to avoid Overgrown Arch, Needlethorn Drake, Biomathematician, and you're looking to prioritize Scurried Colony, Reckless Amplomancer, Frost Trickster, Vortex Runner. All of those cards have two power, so it's really easy to end up in a spot where you don't have a smooth curve of power, you just have like the same power over and over, but pay attention to like what your creatures are and especially to like how many professor of zoomancies you have like you know if you're going scurried colony into quandrix pledge mage which could be any size into like waterfall aerialist and professor of zoomancy into like witherbloom pledge mage now you have like a very good diversity of powers and then golden ratio is really strong Carrick wrangler not a card i'm very high on in general but can do really good work here especially since you have an aggressive plan but a bunch of small creatures Carrick wrangler can do a really good job of like turning creatures that had been kind of like bricked by your opponent's blockers back on and letting you start like making good attacks again master symmetrist is great i've talked about how trample is valuable and it plays well with tricks and then you know, obviously spreading Trample around to your Witherbloom Pledge Mages and Quandrix Pledge Mages is very good. Not to mention potential Leyline Invocation tokens or whatever. This is also a deck that uses Mentor's Guidance well. For the most part, you're not really looking for card draw, but 
Like the fact that you would be more likely to play Reckless Amplomancer than Needlethorn Drake means that you're more likely to have uh, Mentor's Guidance on early. Similarly, prioritizing Frost Trickster, Quandrix, Pledge Mage, Vortex Runner, all of those turn on Mentor's Guidance, whereas something like the Kelpie that is a higher priority in the ramp deck, but not very good in this deck, doesn't turn on Mentor's Guidance. So this is, I think, the Quandrix deck that all the creatures you want, except for Scurried Colony, turn Mentor's Guidance on and like getting double triggers on your Quandrix Pledge Mages is a pretty big deal. So I think this is a deck that can use that card pretty well. Obviously, like Quandrix Apprentice and Quandrix Cultivator are cards you're just going to play on power level no matter what. Talked about Snow Day. And then obviously Wormhole Serpent is going to be great in this kind of deck where you're like getting your opponent lower on life and then can use that to push through the last few points if they stabilize. All the counter spells play well here. You can set up a spot where you're ahead on the board and then counter their attempts to stabilize and then you've done your tempo thing. Snakeskin Veil counts in that space while also being a trick. Totally great in this archetype. The last thing that I want to talk about is Team Pennant and Zephyr Boots. These are weak cards that I basically never play in anything but I think they both have a place here. To some extent, depending on what you're attacking with, how many fractals you're making, whether your creatures already have evasion and stuff. But the numbers support these things not being embarrassing in this archetype, and both of them, like depending on what you have, can meaningfully push damage, make blocking a lot harder for your opponent. The more your green creatures rather than evasive blue creatures, the more you need to like realize that, you know, it might not be that hard for my opponent to just like totally break my offense with a, a elemental masterpiece or something. And you want to have a plan for like what you're going to do if your opponent just like plays some good blockers and gets to the point where you can't attack well on the ground. And Team Pennant and Zephyr Boots and Access Tunnel can all help with that and are definitely good things to have access to if you're an aggressive deck where you're like not sure what your like end game to like close out the game looks like. That's Quandrix Tempo. That's what's going on here. Those are the things to look for. Again, I don't think you should set out to draft this deck. Like I know in general, kind of like the nature of this program is I, I do like to be able to say, here's, you know, how to draft this deck, go draft it, and now you can, like, put these lessons to practice. But I do think that this is one that's more of, like, a good tool to have in your arsenal in case it comes up organically, rather than, like, something that you want to put yourself into. Because I do think that, the like, most of the time you're Quandrix, you want to be approaching it as a ramp deck, and this is more of an an exit strategy when that's not available, but you're committed to Quandrix, I think is the primary space where you end up in a space where you're trying to like use this approach and mentality and skill set. That's Quandrix Tempo. So I am going to turn it over to Twitch chat to uh, give me some questions here. Anything I missed or anything that isn't clear, I do as always want to, well, Wish I could thank my new patrons over at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. Sadly, no new patrons this week, which makes sense, honestly. We are getting toward the end of my coverage of Strixhaven, so I imagine it's not a time that a lot of new people are finding their way to the podcast. On that note, I, I need to decide whether I think that there are even any more decks I need to cover and to decide what I want to cover before we have Adventures in the Forgotten Realms to talk about. But I, I do plan to 
cover some more different stuff. I'm almost hesitant to say what things that might be because I don't want to get anyone's hopes up if they're attached to a particular kind of content, but stay tuned for what we might be talking about next. Anyway, as for this, first question, if I finish pack one on heavy blue tempo cards, what pushes me into this pack two over Prismari? So presumably you start with some like very good blue card, like tempted by the auric that makes you just like want to say, well, I want to be heavy blue. So I'm just going to take blue cards for a while, cut blue, make sure I get to play this and, you know, figure out what my backup color is later on. So you just take a bunch of blue cards, stay pretty open. Maybe in pack one, you see a couple of good green cards, a couple of good red cards. Maybe you end up taking both of them because it's late and they're the things that are available. And so like what tells you to be this? I mean, obviously, like the easiest answer is, well, you open any green bomb, you know, like you open Arnold Professor and you're like, great, I'm in a reasonable spot to do this. But I, I want to highlight that it's, you know, your decision shouldn't be made purely based on what you're seeing at the beginning of pack two. Even after taking into account what you have from pack one, you want to pay a lot of attention to what you were seeing in pack one. Because when you have that flexibility, you really want to make sure that you're like playing the table and being aware of what everyone else is doing and positioning yourself to take advantage of like other cards that are opened that other people at the table don't want. So pay a lot of attention to like which cards are going around late in pack one and start, you know, not necessarily committing to one thing or another, but updating your probabilities and updating your assessment of kind of like the residual value that you'll get later on in the draft as informed by the information you have about how likely cards are to get passed to you later. But again, you know, if I see, oh, it looks like red is a bit more open than green, so I probably want to be Prismari here, but then I open a Gnarled Professor, I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the Gnarled Professor. I don't care. Like, I didn't pass good green cards, so maybe I'll get some good green cards this pack. Blue was pretty open. I managed to say basically mono blue in pack one. So I'm just going to try to, like, hook up a good pack of green cards here and then be, like, base blue with green, which I wanted to be anyway because I had this Tempted by the Auric. So sometimes there are cards that are worth battling for, and sometimes you want to just kind of read the table. I've covered which cards you're looking for, so a lot of it is just about, well, you know, are these the cards that I'm seeing? So your quest for basics about like gameplay, like when to use your Scryland, which as far as this archetype goes is a bit of a tangent, but I will say I didn't talk about the campus specifically. I do think that having campuses, especially obviously Quandrix campus, is a very high priority in this deck because you might end up with, as I mentioned, some cards like Quandrix Apprentice, Quandrix Cultivator that mean that you're more likely to make more land drops. But you're also more likely to run out of stuff to spend your mana on more quickly, especially if you don't have Lesson and Learn cards and you do have cheap combat tricks. You're actually going to like empty your hand and run out of stuff to do. And so that means that having any campus as a mana sink is super, super valuable, especially since you might be getting your opponent low and then looking for those cards that I was talking about to close the game out. So I would say you should definitely be prioritizing Quandrix campus way more highly than you normally would in this archetype. And also, you know, have an openness, and by openness, I mean definitely prioritize and play half on color campuses. And like, if I can't find a single on color campus, I would probably put a silver quilt campus in my deck. Once you're in this spot where you're like, I don't have lesson and learn cards, I'm sure I'm going to empty my hand. This scry is going to be really valuable. As to when to use scry lands, I think just a general note on that obviously, like, you prioritize casting your spells 
overusing your lands. And then I would say people slightly overuse lands in their upkeep. You basically only want to use a scry land in your upkeep if after using it, you'll still have the mana left over to cast a spell that you're hoping to draw. Otherwise, just wait and do it later. Next question is... So acknowledging that this archetype is something that you're like pivoting into, pivots should be, you know, soft pivots rather than hard pivots when they can. It's it's best to have more flex like to maintain flexibility as long as you can, rather than say like, oh, I got a third pick frost trickster. I guess I'm aggro now. Like you wanna, you know, keep the door open to well, like, what if you get a fifth pick Quandrix cultivator? Then should you like maybe think about changing gears? So then the question is like, well, what does that mean for like while you're drafting? So the question is, do you prioritize cards that go in both tempo and ramp over cards that go in just one of them? And then the example given is Needlethorn Drake versus Scurried Colony. I just generally prioritize Scurried Colony over Needlethorn Drake unless something specifically makes me want to go the other way. Like maybe I have two devouring tendrils or whatever. But for the most part, I, I prefer Scurried Colony partially due to its flexibility, but also just due to having a larger body giving you kind of more flexibility in a game. I mean, broadly speaking to the question, a lot of the cards that you're trying to take advantage of in Quandrix Tempo are not cards that you should need to draft highly. You know, I'm talking about like trying to make use of big play, fortifying draft, charge through waterfall area list. Like these are cards you should be planning to table. So it's more about, you know, maybe... You moved in too hard on a manifestation stage early, and now you're in Quandrix, and one or two other people at the table are there also. And the reason you can't be ramp is because they're eating up your ramp spells and you're scraping for playables. And so you like end up in this space because it's what's there. And like that happens, and it's a good tool to have, but it's not ideal. Ideally, you've you know correctly assessed that Quandrix is where you should be, but this happens to be a draft where a lot of Frostrix were opened, and so you're just like taking advantage of it because you can. Again, you want to, yeah, prioritize the cards that are more flexible, stronger cards, the Mage Duels, the cards that play both directions, the Professor Azumancies and stuff, and then, you know, round out the fact that you are like a deck that takes advantage of tricks and stuff with the cards that you're getting later in the draft. Next question is Befuddler still a bad card in this archetype? Yes, but, I mean, yes. Yes, it's a bad card. Is it, like, heinous if you have to play a Befuddler? No. I mean, not. it's not the worst thing ever. You're playing 2-2s, they might trade with other 2-2s, and then you can, like, get value with this. It's tricky because, like, most of those spots your opponent's likely to try to play around Arcane Subtraction anyway, and so, like, you won't always be able to, like, engineer the combats where Befuddler is going to do something. It's bad, but if you're like, you know, in the spot where I talked about where you like move into a Manifestation Sage and you're scraping for playables because other people happen to also be Quandrix, you know, I, I won't fault you after, if you have to try to frog someone. How do you deal with Prismari Pledge Mage as a blocker? Mage Duel. Big play. Frost Trickster. Like, uh, yes, three th it's like three threes are good blockers when you're playing two twos. But uh, there, are, there are a bunch of tools to break through, and this is why I was saying that you should prioritize these pump spells, because you do want to make sure that you can attack smaller creatures into larger creatures. Because if your plan is to put two twos in your deck, you're definitely going to run into a spot where you're trying to attack your smaller creatures into those larger creatures pretty often. So next question, is it especially important in this archetype to note what cards might wheel from the first packs? Yes, it is especially important. 
but also, yes, it's always especially important. You just, in general, you, you have a lot of time to make a first pick. When you open your first pack, you shouldn't just say like, all right, this is the card I want, take it, move on. You should take some take some time, look at the rest of the pack, try to figure out which cards you expect other people to, like, you know, count out the next seven best cards, figure out what things you expect other people to take, what stuff you expect to get back. And then when you see it back, say like, oh, I thought this pick, this card would be gone a long time ago, and I thought this thing would still be here, and it's the other way around, so this must be being heavily drafted, and this might, must be open. If you do that for, like, at least your first, like, two picks, you know, it's it's a lot to try to remember if you're not, like, really, really accustomed to this, to try to remember, like, every card you've passed in every pack, but if you could try to keep pretty good mental notes of your first pick or t your first one or two packs, it can give you a lot of information about what's going on in the table. And certainly for me in a lot of different decks, once I'm in a spot where I'm prioritizing cards that I know don't go into very many decks, I'm basically trying to draft in a way where every time I see a pack, I'm making two picks from that pack. Where I say, all right, I'm taking this card, and now I know that I'm going to have a big play in my deck. And so like, I've already mentally slotted that into my curve because I know it's going to come back. And so like when you're planning what your deck's going to look like and figuring out what your curve is and stuff, if you can kind of like cheat and know your curve eight picks in advance, that's definitely information you can meaningfully leverage. Um, but that, that really does apply everywhere. Okay, I, th I think that covers us. So that'll, that'll wrap up our session on Quandrix Tempo. So we are going to be back next week with something. Uh, as I said, I'm not sure what that will be just yet. If I think of another Strixhaven archetype that I think is important to cover, it will certainly be that, or it might be a different format. Stay tuned, and you can join um, my Discord, Challenging Assumptions. You can find a link for that um, on my Twitter or Twitch or I imagine a variety of other places, probably the Patreon page, I hope. <laughs> I should know that. But yeah, uh, on that Discord, there are channels for this podcast. So that would be a good place to stay up to date and give feedback. Also, my Twitch and Twitter would be great places to stay informed about what is coming up with the podcast, including what I'll be talking about next week. So that's, that's all I have for you for now. And I will be back to give you more information about drafting things a week from now. Bye, everyone.